Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from Multispeed Technologies, the Ask Noah show starts right now. This is the show where we came to do all the things on Linux they said couldn't be done and take your questions on how to do the same. The phone lines are open to be a part of the program. It is a free call. 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624. Or you can send an email to live at asknoahshow.com. My name is Noah Chalaya. I am your host. Delighted to be here with you as another episode of the Ask Noah show kicks off this hour. Joining me, my co-host Steve Ovens. Welcome to the program, sir. Hello, Noah and audience. How are you feeling this week? Uh, it has been absolutely great, Steve. I've had a fantastic uh, fantastic week. We've, we're getting to the point at Ultra Speed where we're kind of winding down for the year, kind of slowing down for the year. So that gives me an opportunity to kind of dig into some of my more personal projects, and I'm enjoying the opportunity to do that. Hey, I want to remind you guys that we open the phone lines at 6 o'clock. We record the show at 6 o'clock Central, and we invite you to join us at AskNoahShow.com. Now you can participate in the interactive Jitsi room, GeekLab.Ninja, or uh, you can give us a call live on the air. At 855-456-624. Now, it's something that we've done that I think is unique among Linux podcasts. I'm not aware of any other shows that take questions live on the air. And we have uh, the capability to do that, and we would love you to participate in that. And so uh, if – I know it's one hour a week, and so the schedules don't always work out. But if you have a question and you're able to join us, give us a call at 855-450. No, it's 855-450-6624. Now, we do have other ways for you to send your questions in. One of the ways that we do that is with our questions bot, which gets more and more robust every single week. I've asked the developer if at some point he'd be willing to come on to the program and kind of talk about the work he's doing on this questions bot because it's very cool what's happening behind the scenes. And the level of control that we have over it and the features that are being built into it are absolutely fantastic. But the short version is... You can send your questions to questions, colon, Linux, Delta.com. That's a matrix bot, and it puts the questions right in front of our faces, and then we can ask that. So, for example, IDNG asks, what cold storage crypto wallet do you recommend? Now, I actually had a recommendation from, uh, from another listener that uh, actually eventually turned into a client, and they had a small metal capsule that you engraved the private key onto and you placed it into this little capsule and it's fire resistant, water resistant, the whole nine yards. You can go back and check that out as in the past weeks. Uh, it was uh, our, our pick of the week and uh, maybe a month ago or so. So I would invite you to check that out. But I personally, the way that I deal with cold shelf storage is I have a computer that's called an air gap computer. So an air gap computer is a computer that has never been connected to the internet. Now above and beyond that, I have opened that computer up and removed all of the wireless connectivity modules. So I've pulled the Bluetooth out, I've pulled the Wi-Fi card out, and I have filled uh, in the little uh, Ethernet jack. So there is no way to get connectivity into that computer. There's no easy way to get connectivity into that computer, and it's designed to only function offline. That then, in turn, is connected to an external hard drive, which is, of course, encrypted, and that hard drive has never been connected to a computer. That has been connected to the Internet. So the threat vector is very, very small. It only exists, A, if you know where all of those things physically are, B, you have the encryption uh, key to decrypt all of those devices, and C, you can physically put your hands on it because it's not possible to attack remotely. We've I've removed, so far as I understand it, all of the remote threat vectors. Um, and so 
that that is the the basic way that I would recommend you go about doing a crypto wallet. Now, the nice thing about the uh, hardware the the hardware key wallet. So you'll see a couple of them. Like there's the Trezor, which is an electronic wallet that stores uh, your keys. Is they're a purpose built device. So there's an advantage there. Um, there's a convenience factor there. But for me personally, I find it more valuable to have the lowest common denominator. That is to say, I find it more valuable to have just a general encrypted drive and text files that I can store private keys in because they're going to stand the test of time. I don't have to worry about support, all the things. Um, but I'll, we'll try and see if we can dig up the link to those um, that little hardware key tube that we featured a few weeks ago. And we'll have that free in the show notes. If not, you might have to dig through uh, the show notes of podcast.asknoahshow.com. Our first email this week comes in from Keith. Keith writes in and says, Hi, Noah. I've listened to your show for a while now. I look forward to every new episode. But I'd like to know how you would back up your data effectively on a tight budget. My family and I are a two-hour drive away from each other. And it's not the end of the world if I have to drive, but I would like an easy way to easily back up our, our data from my home. Any tips would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, Keith. So, the tried and true spare drive method is by far your least expensive way to go. No matter what backup system you go down, you're going to have to store the data somewhere. And so purchasing a drive is, if you're not willing to purchase a drive, it's kind of a non-starter, unless you're going to go with a cloud-based service, which I wouldn't do for multiple reasons, not the least of which being it's not going to be the cheapest way uh, to get there. But if you purchase a spare drive... Um, you're going to want to have at least two spare drives because you want to do backups in sets of three. Why? If you have drive A, drive B, and drive C, and you back up drive A to drive B, and something goes wrong with that process, you've now corrupted potentially the data on drive A and drive B. If you have a drive C, you're only moving data on any one, any two of the three drives at any one time, thereby keeping one available to revert back to in case something goes wrong. Now, the nice thing about the spare drive approach is you have no recurring costs, and it's fairly trivial to get your data into three places. The downside is if you are living geographically a different place than where you need to back up your data, then obviously that presents a problem. So that's where things like NextCloud or C-File come in or rsync over SSH if you are willing to set up that infrastructure. And you have the opportunity then to move data across the internet in an encrypted fashion from one drive to the other. Now, when we set this up for clients, oftentimes we'll run into an issue where they want, they change more than let's say 50 gigs of data on a given day, that presents a problem because if you just let rsync run, it will just tank your upload and all of a sudden you're going to just not have internet. And But there's a way to rate limit rsync so that it'll only do a certain amount over a given period of time. Now, the problem is you have to balance that because obviously if you're making those kinds of large changes on a consistent basis and you don't have the internet to support it, um, you're going to get backed up to the point that you may not be effectively backing your data up every day. So all of those things you want to take into consideration. Steve, what is your general approach when it comes to backup and what would you recommend for Keith doing it on a budget? Well, I won't get into how I actually do my backups because it's a little bit involved and it's definitely not on the budget side. But I will say that if I was looking to do this on the budget, um, I would look for like a spare Chromebook or uh, something small that that's not going to cost you a ton of money that you can put Linux on. And then I really like Tink. So Tink is kind of like a mesh uh, VPN sort of thing that you can set up. And I did this at my family's house. 
because I couldn't actually control their router. So Tink will actually call out to to an endpoint that is known, such as like a digital ocean droplet or whatever, and helps to kind of coordinate any other hosts on the network. And so what I did is I took a spare drive and I stuck it at their house. And then I have Tink and my backup servers in both my my house and that place on Tink. And they just replicate between each other. And that's super low cost because you can you don't have to use DigitalOcean and spend five dollars a month. You can you can absolutely find budget VPSs out there for like I I have one that's thirty dollars a year because it doesn't have to do anything except sit on the internet and have an IP in order to help coordinate things. So uh, I find that to be a very low budget solution because it doesn't require any horsepower. It just needs to be on and make a connection out to the internet. Are you willing to share the name of that VPS? Uh, I'd have to double check. I, it's out in Buffalo and okay. I don't remember right off the top of my head. Well, I'll throw, we'll see if we can find one and throw it in the show notes. So I am a big fan of OVH. Now they're subsidized by the Canadian government. So take that into account however you wish. But, uh, like what you're talking about, they have, uh, VPS is starting at just a few bucks a month. And so I have simple things like our Unify controller, or uh, our simple help server, those kinds of things, like you said, I need an IP address and I need about 10 gigs of storage to put the thing on and have the thing run. Um, and so getting that for $2 a month as opposed to $5 a month or $10 a month uh, really adds up. And so they also do bare metal instances. So we've rented a full virtual, full physical host from them for, I think, like 80 bucks a month. And then we virtualize that and just buy the IP addresses from them and virtualize our own infrastructure. That's another way you can go, too. Uh, Jutana, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, asked to our questions bot, I updated to Pipewire a few days ago on my Ubuntu 2110 Mate install. Since then, I've lost the ability to use a local camera and mic redirection to my RDP session for my Windows machine. My question is, is it safe to uninstall Pipewire at this point, or am I going to make a mess and borking something further? I've really enjoyed using RDP camera mic, as I find Windows was way more stable for teams and meetings, but really hated switching back and forth. Steve, your thoughts? I'm not really sure, to be honest with you. I don't normally revert a big change like that. I'm more likely to make that uh, change on a test box than I am. So I would have made this, doesn't help the, uh, the question person, but I would have done this in a VM first to see what would happen. Um, that can still apply. You can try doing a VM, install Pipewire, and then see ro- what happens rolling back. Um, but generally speaking... I'm super conservative when it's when it's things that I can I rely on. Like I haven't updated my uh, OpenVPN client in a very long time. It's stuck at four dot or two dot four dot something, specifically because I don't want it to break and not be able to get access to my VPN. So I consider sound in that same category. Like, don't touch it if you don't have to. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's that's well said. Uh, Conan Kudo in the chat room. Uh, seems to have some concerns about a pipe wire on Ubuntu. So uh, I guess, again, take that for what it's worth. Our second email comes in from Ivalin. Ivalin writes and says, Hi, Noah. Congrats on an awesome show. I've been following it for a few months since the recommendation from a friend. In your latest episode, 258, All Linux, one of the callers asked about a system that can help with care for their remote mo- for their remote parents. You discussed that Apple Watch is an option, which is probably the best out there for vitals. I've been working on an open source project in a similar space. It's essentially a smart camera that detects falls. 
We're working on motion detection and other anomalies. If your time allows, feel free to take a look at it. And he links to ambiotic.ai. Kind regards, Ivelin. So we're going to include this in the show notes. I think stuff like this is absolutely fantastic. This is the kind of thing that I look at and I say is an Apple or a Google or a Fitbit or whoever would look at that and say, well, how do we make money off of that? There's not a way to capitalize on it. Oh, I'm just not going to do it. Open source, on the other hand, you get somebody in the community that says, no, there's a need here. We wish to serve those people. So I have the ability to write the code. I'm going to serve those people and I'm going to do that. And truthfully, I think users are end up are, end up served better with that kind of approach as opposed to the 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 commercial style thing. So thanks for writing in. Thanks for sharing that. We'll include it in the show notes. And if that is an option to the person who wrote in and asked about uh, keeping an eye on their parents, uh, more power to you. Dan writes in and says, Hi, Noah and Steve. Thank you for spending your time with us on a weekly basis, sometimes a biweekly basis. I've gotten an education from the show and your work with JB. I've listened since the first last episode. I could not wait for you to get your own show. My question comes from a stance of legal or white hat contracting. I've been asked by a private investigation firm to provide a service. The service would be cloning data from servers, phones, and hard drives for the use of their clients and possibly the courts. I'm fairly sure that AltaSpeed Technologies has been asked to do something similar. What would you and the team recommend for a toolkit for this application? We're enthusiasts, and I'll never forget your analogy that we're trying to bring the boat closer to the dock before we jump off, referencing when you started AltaSpeed with $300. So we'd like to hear, we'd like to have our first job and pull the boat really close. Thanks. So, um, I guess, Steve, what are your thoughts? What, what, what would you say to Dan? Have you, I guess let me start here. Have you ever worked in a legal capacity, um, in any of your jobs? Have you ever done anything that involved law enforcement or working with law enforcement, anything like that? Yes. Um, you have to be kind of careful, especially because they reference private investigation firm, which it has been my experience that they're not always above board and I would be really, really cautious working with them um, to the point where I might even have a lawyer on retainer if I was serious about this, because oftentimes private investigation is attempting to unearth evidence that is not freely given. And, you know, as a person that's being asked to do these things, I don't know, I'm not a lawyer. I would be really cautious about what is my liability here. If someone comes to me and says, hey, can you help me get into this thing? And it's not the owner. Uh, I'd be really cautious about doing that. So I would second that. I I would not help law enforcement or anyone else if I believe that it, it was wrong to do so. And so the first thing I would tell you is if it didn't happen in writing, it didn't happen at all. So anything that you do, you should have a written and signed contract. If a private investigator firm is asking you to do something, uh, they should have a contract and they should sign it. Second of all, anytime you're working with law enforcement, we get called on a fairly regular basis to pull security camera footage for ongoing investigations or uh, do that kind of work. And what I can tell you about it is that there is a chain of custody. Essentially, when it gets to court, um, the attorneys have to be able to prove that you didn't just fabricate logs, didn't just fabricate footage, didn't just fabricate uh, the evidence that you're submitting. And so typically the way that looks is they will have an officer with you while you perform the tasks and they will look over your shoulder and then they, not you, 
take the footage or the data that you've recovered and they enter it. They have a log. And so they'll say, you know, I watched this company do this and they pulled it and then they put it into this bag and they seal it and they sign it and they put a date on it. And then from that point on, there is what's known as the chain of custody. And there's a log that is kept um, from the from the moment that that came into the police officer's possession up until the moment it was used in court, exactly who had access to it, where it's been, all those kinds of things. Um, and so you want to be aware and outline that process. Now, there are courses that you can take if you're interested in doing uh, forensics is essentially what you're talking about. Technical forensics, there are courses that you can take. Um, but even just a, a a little bit of Googling will get you a long way as far as just some general best practices, so on and so forth. So I would recommend that you uh, that you're aware of that um, before going any further. And particularly when you, when you say white hat, it makes me think about penetration testing and hacking and those kinds of things. Again, what Steve said. You want to be absolutely sure you're on solid ground. And from my perspective, the way that you get there is having a written contract, having a clear scope to find exactly what they're asking you to do, exactly what you're going to do, exactly how you're going to do it, and exactly what the deliverable is. Um, and that way, there is no question and nobody can say you were up to something kinky, so on and so forth. And if you have any questions, I would highly recommend you just don't do it. Um, if you don't have a good feeling about the deal, just don't do the deal. Um, you're far better served to do that than to get yourself in, uh, in into a bad spot. Uh, with that, our next guest, Ian Tent. He is the co-founder and CEO of Mattermost Group Collaboration Software, open source group collaboration software. It's my great pleasure to welcome him into the show. Now, we've talked about other chat and communication platforms on this program before. Uh, I have used Mattermost, and I've looked at it many different times. It is a fantastic project, and so it is my great pleasure to introduce Ian. Ian, welcome into the program, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for taking the time to be here. So I'm excited to talk about Mattermost. I think anybody who works at an organization, particularly after COVID hit, everybody has moved towards a remote workforce. And the communication platform that is the glue that brings those workforces together. So Mattermost has an important role to play in this. Tell me the story of how Mattermost came to be. Why is Mattermost a thing? How did it get started? Tell me that story. Yeah, thanks for asking. So, you know, as, as with a lot of developer tools, you know, we kind of started building Mattermost for ourselves. So once upon a time, we were actually a video game company, and we made online games, and they're sort of collaborative, sort of MMO-style games, and we were using a messaging system to to run all of our operations, all of our art pipeline, all of our analytics, all of our software development. And uh, we, this is before the time of Slack. And we're using a different product. And what happened was this product got sort of bought by a big company. It was a, it was a startup, got big, bought by a large player. And they really started neglecting the product. It would crash. We would lose data. It was super frustrating. And what happened was um, we decided to sort of build our own. So it's like, well, we've got 10 million hours of messaging in our games. We can build like messaging software. So we did, we did it a few times. We had sort of like, you know, three iterations of it. And um, we decided to open source it. And what we found out is as we open sourced it, there was just a tremendous um, interest in, in what we'd built. Just like us, other companies had used different messaging applications and they, were, they really wanted something that they could host themselves and control and see all the source code and also just make sure that it's got the uptime and reliability and customization that they really needed. So we went from sort of a third-party product that kind of got neglected to building our own in an open-source fashion. 
And it just, you know, after, after that happened, we kind of pivoted the company, stopped doing the games, started building these, um, started building this open source platform for uh, a small set of customers that became a larger set of customers. We ended up raising venture capital, 20 million series A, 50 million series B. And here we are today, really having a really surprising and, you know, rewarding impact on the world, uh, just just with this open source platform, all the different customers and communities that are that are working every day on the, on that Mattermost platform. Very cool. Now you chose to go open source with this, and honestly, I mean, this is a show where we focus on you know, open source and Linux things. So it doesn't necessarily surprise me, but I think a lot of people out there would say, Hey, Slack has gone a different direction. Discord has gone a different direction. Most of these platforms are proprietary. Why did you choose to go down the open source route? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, when we started, you know, me and my co-founder, we came from Microsoft and it was that weird era of Microsoft that, you know, Steve Ballmer was there. It was a very sort of almost anti open source, you know, time uh, when we were there, this is before I made my video game company. And um, what happened was there's this uh, the the CEO and founder of GetLab during this time you know they were just raising the Series A they were just getting started I was showing Sid you know my uh, the the app which is Mattermost and you know his feedback was oh Ian you should open source that and you know for me I'm like I, I've never built an open source product I don't understand why we would do that and he kind of explained the GetLab model of of open core so you've got this you know version for the community. Uh, and for team, for in our situation, for teams, that was completely free. People can try it out, um, and then there's like a commercial version, a business with you know an enterprise enterprise version. And I was you know I was kind of wrapping my head around this, and then he, and then Sid made it really simple. What he said was, if you if you open source it and it's successful, you can always close source it because you've only spent three months. It's just a prototype. But if you open source it and no one cares, you should just shut it down. And you know that logic was really powerful for me, um, and we ran that experiment because you learn faster when, when you're open, and it was just a huge success. We open sourced it; people were really interested. We kept it open source. We used the open core model that would make sure that we can contribute to the community in a very healthy way, as well as for the larger enterprise customers that needed the advanced features, we could run a, a very healthy business similar to GetLab, um, and continue to grow and scale and invest in both. So you know, that's kind of how we made that open source decision. And I think that people who just never, never done it before really don't have a lot of experience. They can learn really quickly because the whole world is moving that direction. What, who is your target audience? You've spoken a lot about uh, developers. And so certainly if there is somebody else out there that is a developer or a company that hires developers, obviously this is a collaboration tool built for them. Is it right for other business models who do you look to sell, not sell, but who are you looking to create Mattermost for? Yeah, I think Mattermost is really for those technical teams, software builders and operators. We call them sort of digital digital operations organizations. Digital operations are people that build and run their own software. So, you know, more and more software is that competitive advantage that every organization is looking for. And you're trying to now today compete globally for that tech talent. And, you know, a lot of CIOs are finding that, you know what, Every, we want to think about the open source solution for all these things. And the best developers are going to be open source developers because they're, you know, they have this opportunity to be 10x the impact because they can go into this, this immense resource of, of open source technologies and bring those together 
in, in a very you know, intelligent way to, to really leapfrog anything else out there in the market. So the best developers are open source developers, and Mattermost is really a platform for that ethos. You know, think about you know, if you're the driver of a race car, the people that want to open up the hood and see what's underneath. We use technologies like Golang, like React, React Native, Kubernetes, um, a, built a very sophisticated Kubernetes operator to, to deploy the entire system. So, you know, open source developers that really want to uh, be on a platform that speaks to the culture and the values that, that they want to have, that they can, you know, look under the hood and see these great technologies and just feel like they're, they're working on a platform that's dedicated to them, plus being able to tailor and customize and kind of trick out that operating environment is, is so powerful and so important. So our target audience is, is really those technical teams that are embracing open source and want to attract that best talent. One of the things that I think we face is there is so much competition in this space, right? There is Slack, there is Teams, there is Discord, there is Matrix, there is Rocket Chat, um, and of course, Mattermost. What are the biggest hurdles that you get from businesses regarding adoption of Mattermost? You go to some of these places and you say, hey, this is the offering that we have. We're very collaborative. Uh, all of our code is open source. You can self-host it, all of the things. And what do they? what do you find them saying back to you? Yeah, I think that there's a, there's a very large market and, you know, the, the, cha- the, uh, key bottlenecks that we have is a lot of our developers and technical teams love Mattermost. They love the platform. They love the, the way that it's going, the technologies that was that have been used to create it, which are pretty unique um, in terms of like, hey, how do we have the leading edge? And it's really about how do you communicate that to you know the finance department or the people that control the budget and say, hey, it's really important for developers to have the tools that they need. Uh, versus, hey, why don't we try to use general purpose, general collaboration products and say, well, we'll just put the engineers in there. So the analogy is sort of, you know, and there's wonderful products. I'm, I'm ex-Microsoft and we built some really great products. I got a dozen patents from that chapter. Um, and, you know, a lot of things I absolutely love about Microsoft. And one thing is they build software for everybody. And, you know, Microsoft Teams, the video conferencing and, and all the wonderful features they've got in Microsoft Teams is kind of software for everybody. And, you know, the organizations that we're targeting are, hey, this is, you know, where we want developers and technical teams to operate, to launch their escalations, to, like, work on the most important things for building and operating software. And that's just very different. So the analogy is, you know, would you, would you want to have developers in sort of open environments where there's lots of, you know, activity going on and noise, kind of like, you know, the old school open floor plans where the people are got their headphones on, they're trying to code. Right, that's sort of the one analogy for using a general collaboration product, versus something that's really dedicated and saying like, actually, this is where the engineers are doing their work. You know, please, you know, the, have have the focus and the conversations really about you know how do we make these, how do we how do we build and operate these systems, um, and I think that's one of the keys. It's really that dedication to the technical teams and their mission. It's really about the flexibility and saying, well, the technical teams make the decision on what we're going to integrate with, what technologies, what shortcuts, you know, what configurations, really giving that, that flexibility and, and tailoring and doing this all in an environment that can be well secured. So we can't you know, poke holes in certain systems aren't designed to, to be extended and, and, and have that flexibility. Whereas a platform like Magmarost, we're in some of the most secure organizations in the world, 
um, with, you know, customizations, integrations, and having that um, sort of track record and uh, priority is, is, really, uh, is really incredibly important to our audience. Tell me a little bit about the technical uh, standpoint of Mattermost. Obviously, most of the people that listen to this program um, are using some are using some sort of open source a- application. A lot of them have experience with uh, open source messaging systems. So, can you tell me a little bit about how it compares to other open source chat pl- platforms? What does it have in common, and what are some of the things that makes it stand out? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, one thing that's important to understand about Mattermost is that we're about digital operations and collaboration in with that priority. So it's not just a messaging or a chat platform. Yes, absolutely, that's where we started. And you'll find, you know, Slack-compatible keyboard shortcuts, Slack-compatible webhooks, you know, compatible at the line level. So you can use those those Slack integrations and, and be in that sort of productivity space. But what we've ex- extended with Mattermost is – a new open source project called Focal Board. It's been out there for about a year. And what you see is Focal Board is uh, project management, and it's an alternative to Asana, Trello, Notion, and other sort of Kanban-style boards. And what's very different about Mattermost is how we've integrated that task management and project management with that collaboration. So it's really about how do we make you know this context switching that people go through constantly. It's like, oh, I've got a ticket over here. I've got a conversation over here. And sometimes it's in the ticket. Sometimes it's in the channel. And people have to sort of thrash back and forth. And it doesn't matter how many integrations you create among these um, different applications. They're not really going to be unified. So one of the things that our audience is really asked about is like, okay, how do we simplify? So not only do you have the messaging piece, you've got a project management piece that's you know pretty powerful and flexible. So you know it can be it can be task management, it can be project grids. You have calendar, it can be calendars. There's a lot of um, very powerful uh, integrations you can do like out of the box with that piece of project management. The third piece is uh, what we call playbooks. So one of the things that we've seen from our customers, especially in digital operations, is running escalations in real in a real time system. So, hey, how do we get you know there's there's an outage or there's a security incident? How do we bring the right people in the room, and how do we have the right checklist of things that need to be done? How do we make sure the right people who are on call are actually brought in, and how do we make that uh, that channel? sort of like this almost shared CLI. So, you know, in the old world, people would be like, okay, here's my chat system. Let's get on a conference call. Let's go, hey, you over there run those things in that terminal. I'll run these commands. You know, 50% of the time, things actually get worse before they get better. And at the end, you know, you don't really know how anything happened. So Mattermost is really solving that issue um, by bringing it all together in playbooks and giving people a real uh, place to run escalations, run incidents, and follow up with retrospectives, follow up with dashboards, you know, about incidences and uptimes and, and outages and, and different pieces. So it really begins with, you know, messaging collaboration. It expands to project management, work management, and now we've got incident resolution and incident collaboration sort of all built in. And I think that is pretty unique in the market. I know that um, there, there's other products out there that are focused on like, hey, let's make you know chat and messaging better and better and better. Um, and what we see from our, from our user base is help us solve like the hardest problems we have running digital operations teams. Um, and that's what we're really responding to. So um, I think, you know, in that context, you know, we're really about 
how do we have the collaboration platform that is open, developer-centric, you know, flexible to meet their ne- meet the needs of, of our teams. Um, and I think m- my view is that is there's not really offered in the market today, but, you know, you've seen a lot. So, you know, that, that's what we're seeing on our side. Absolutely. What are people's options when it comes to hosting Mattermost? And actually, I guess before I get to that, maybe I should ask. So the way that Mattermost is designed, every instance is a separate instance. So, for example, if I go over to uh, the Oma Linux um, uh, business hours, office hours, and I go to chat.almalinux, that is one Mattermost instance. If I came over to a second Mattermost instance, I'm creating a separate account on each one of these instances. Um, they're all separate. Is that correct? Um, yeah, it's if you if you want them to be. So um, Mattermost can host you know hundreds of teams just on one instance. If you choose to have multiple instances, you can you can do that as well. Okay, but you can do so. Ex- talk about that a little bit. How does it work if I want multiple teams on one instance? Yeah, so if you have multiple teams on one instance, you have different workspaces. So it's uh, you can you can uh, in a single instance you can create lots of different teams. You can say like, hey, this is team A, team B, team C, and then your permissions are controlled at that team level. So people can decide, hey, I want to. This team is open. Anyone can join. This team's restricted. It's invite only. Uh, and then, but in that instance, all the all the members of that instance can actually still message it with direct messages or group messages. So it's really about you know our focus is really about organizations, and you know how they how digital operations teams collaborate uh, with each other. Now they might be separate teams. Maybe this is the mobile team over here, and this is the desktop team, and this is the web team, and this is the security team. Um, or they can have them in one sort of larger team. But it's really about how do we help digital operations organizations organize and configure and collaborate in a way that's going to be most productive and highest impact for them. Okay, so then my second question is, how, what are people's options when it when it comes to hosting hosting uh, instances? If you if you wanted one instance that maybe managed multiple teams, is that something that people can go through you guys to get professional hosting, or is it something you've kind of got to run on your own? Yeah, it's a great question. So we have both cloud hosted options from us, as well as you know you can you can host it with you know many of our different uh, installs and configurators. We have on the self hosting side, you know the sing- simple is it's a single Linux binary that can run with MySQL or Postgres under MIT license. So you know super easy to start, and um, yeah, and very easy to configure. It can run its own. You can you can run it with a pro- uh, web proxy like Nginx and just get started. So that's a kind of a small. Then you've got you know, a, if you run Docker, you can do a one-line Docker install and just, you know, set it up super quick, you know, and, and, and get it up and running. If you want to get more sophisticated, there's a three-node Docker install. So, you know, classic architecture, just to, just to you know, stand it up. Um, what we're moving towards is a, is a couple – so that's kind of how we began. And that's what's very – that's out there a lot. And you can kind of, you know, web search for anything like, you know, your technology plus Mattermost, um, Ansible Mattermost, uh, um, all the different, all the different um, uh, platforms, and then we've got uh, you can Puppet Mattermost, Chef Mattermost. You can you can find those all online as open source. Then you've got sort of where we want to go, which is kind of two areas. One is the Omnibus. So Mattermost has an Omnibus installer that you can use, um, and it just kind of lays everything out. So you know we want to make it super easy and super simple. And then for folks that are going to be a little bit more advanced, we actually have a Kubernetes operator that that kind of lays out. Uh, the platform and and the infrastructure. So, from on the self-host instance, you've got quite a range, 
And all this works with our with our open source offering. So you can you can set it all up in a range. For the cloud hosted, yeah, we we will host it for you in the cloud. And right now, if you go to mattermost.com and you go to the cloud hosting options, there's a there's a few offerings. The cloud starter the cloud starter package we have right now, I think it's uh, unlimited users and it's about twelve dollars a month. Um, and that's really just hosting. So it's like, if you imagine you wanted a, a WordPress instant hosted, you pay some hosting fee and, and that's what we charge as well. So it's around $12 a month. Um, you can just check it out, you know, kick the tires. There's also a, a trial period that you can have, you know, before you make that decision. So you can, you can run for a, a few weeks and test it all out. So a lot of different options to put your kind of toe in the water and to see how things are working before you make the commitment of either sort of a more hardened um, self-hosted install or purchasing, you know, cloud hosting for our cloud products. There's a number of different security implications that come into anytime you're using uh, any sort of communication platform. This is something that, you know, EA learned at some great cost to them uh, recently. What are some things that people should be asking about the security of their communication platform and how does Mattermost specifically address those security concerns? Yeah, it's a great question. It's a very broad topic. Um, I think the place to start is what's the culture of security um, at the at the in, in the project, and the culture of security is really important. And um, one thing that you'll see with us is uh, you'll see organizations like FSISEC and uh, like FSISEC, which is you know the uh, financial services. Um, information security community using Mattermost. Like they've chosen Mattermost and it's kind of like an example that's, that's public that we can share of, hey, this is, um, this is an example of where you'll see Mattermost in the wild and the security community. There's also the actions that of, of that project. Like what do, we, what do we actually stand behind? Like who are we? How do we behave? I think one thing you'll see from last year, and we can send you a link afterwards, is um, you know, Mattermost worked with Google on a very important, like, Golang escalation. So we actually, through our security research, found um, a vulnerability in the XML parser, uh, of the stock XML parser in, in Golang. What happened was, because the XML parser was used for SAML authentication, there was a way to actually bypass SAML SSO um, through this vulnerability that we found. And we found it, we found it in the, the actual XML parser itself. We found it in some downstream libraries. And what we actually did is we actually went out of our way. We, this was not an issue that affected Mattermost. We saw it before, you know, we were considering some libraries in our security reviews. We found it. What we ended up doing was working with, with Google and the Golang security team to actually create a patch ourselves because it couldn't be patched in the, in the actual language. Um, we created a patch for ourselves. We actually inf- worked with uh, confidentially the downstream libraries. We worked confiden- confidentially with a number of very important companies, both private and public, that were vulnerable to the SAML SSO um, issue. And we did a coordinated disclosure. So we wanted to make sure that um, when we disclosed this, not only were we responsible, um, but we were able to you know, help patch those libraries uh, ahead of time, help the people downstream who were most affected, uh, including public sector organizations, governmental organizations, to really secure their infrastructure as quickly as possible. Now, that is, you know, we're not making any money off of that. That's not for the commercial business. That's just the right thing to do as a member of the broader open source and security communities. So I think when you think about, hey, which, you know, platform am I going to pick? It's about like, well, what is their secure, like, 
what are they doing in the security space? How are they thinking about it? And if we go sort of out of our way this far, and this is just one example, if we go out of our way this far because we believe in open source security, then you know that, hey, this, this software that we're putting out has a lot standing behind it. And I think um, I, I, that's, you know, I think that's one part of security is just, you know, what are their values? Mm. And let me just tell you one other story about how extreme we go on the enterprise side. Um, and this is something that's really unique to Mattermost in our architecture, which is um, today in – I'll just give you one example of, of our mobile security and, and privacy um, architecture – is that today uh, when you want to do mobile messaging, right, you have to go through Google and Apple, right, because they own the actual applications. And you have to go to their app store and download the app. What we've actually created because, our, because the security customers we work with have, have asked for this – is uh, you can take our mobile app, compile the source code yourself with your own certificates, and you can actually host the Mattermost notification server separately. We have, we have documentation architectures to support this. And you can actually go into a mode with Mattermost where um, when you relay your notifications through Apple or Google to the, the mobile applications, it's ID only. It doesn't actually send any of the text as payload. So the only time – so when it actually hits, hits the mobile application, number one, it's your mobile application. You've seen every line of code. You've compiled with your own certificates. You get the ID. It goes back to your, the Mattermost server that you host to bring back the payload for the notification. And it's an architecture that gives you actually sovereignty in your mobile communications. So, you know, in terms of how far do we go, and remember all these keys, because it's self-hosted, are generated by you. So you control all the keys. There's no in-between. We even have mobile communications, mobile applications. So on the extreme side of sort of security and privacy, you know, that's kind of how, that's kind of how we're planted. So it's about the philosophy and the stance that you take on security um, and you know, responsible disclosure policy, you know, regular penetration testing, all those, um, hacker one account, all that, to um, sort of the proof in the pudding. Like what is the implementation that you will build? How far will you go with your customers for privacy and security? And we kind of go all the way. You've announced a new project and workflow management solutions for developers. Tell me a little bit about that. What is it and how does it benefit developers? Yeah, so thanks, thanks for that question. Um, you know, it's really about moving beyond sort of the core messaging uh, platform where we started and bringing in um, alternatives to other products out there in the market. So um, Mattermost is that open source alternative to, to Slack and other messaging applications. Mattermost boards and Mattermost, Mattermost the core Mattermost um, product is now being called Mattermost channels to really emphasize, yeah, that's the sort of Slack alternative. Then we have Mattermost Boards, which is going to be the alternative to Trello, Asana, and Notion. And then we've got a uh, Mattermost Playbooks, which is really an alternative to a lot of these instant management, instant collaboration um, bespoke products out there. So what that lets you do with project management and workflow management is you know, start in a channel with kind of unstructured conversations, the important things pick out and put into tasks. Um, or uh, tasks or Kanban tickets and be able to work collaboratively within those tickets and within the conversations. And the third piece is for playbooks, you know, be able to do workflow, kicking off, you know, very, um, very quick, very structured, you know, workflows. When I have a security incident response, when I've got an outage, who are the people that need to be in the channel? Um, what are the automations that will automatically kick off? So 
the first time you and Mattermost is it's kind of done in an intelligent way. So when you go in that channel, there's going to be an incident commander. There's going to be a checklist. When someone joins that channel, they'll get an update. Here's the incident commander. Here's what the status is. Here's the checklist. Here's what's been done. Here's what's next. Here's what the next update will happen. So, you know, really running, thinking about digital operations, site reliability engineers, security operations folks, developers, how do we get, how do we respond to incidents in a responsible way, in a, with a structured way, with retrospectives and, uh, and process improvement built in? At the end of these, you know, escalations, how do we improve it next time? The first time it happens, all hands on deck, it takes, you know, let's run these five reports, it takes an hour to run them. The next, but after the retrospective and adding automation, the next time that happens, instead of an hour, you run it in like two minutes because it's all been it's all been packaged ahead of time because we've we've got this structure we can pass it on. So that's that's really the uh, trajectory of Mattermost is saying, hey, how do we move? Um, in addition to all the wonderful things in real time messaging, how do we bring in project management and workflow management into that? And that was just this year, and we're excited to share even more next year of all the things that we're building based on the the community, open source community, and user feedback. What motivated you to expand into project management workflows? I mean, from a from a stamp, there there's a there's a part of me that says. If you start with chat and, and, and that's what you do, do it well. But at the same time, then I look at what you're doing and I go, well, if I was looking for a communication collaborative platform, obviously I would want to get as much of my project management and as much of my team in one central coherent place because that's going to allow us to, to, to operate more effectively. So I can see, I can see why, but, uh, what was your motivation to get into this? Yeah, it's a great question. It really comes from our community. It really comes from our user base. Um, there's one thing about you know why people pick open source platforms. It's because there's innovation upstream and downstream. It's not just hey, there's a room somewhere with a bunch of product managers that make these decisions, and you know uh, in the ivory tower it kind of rolls down. It's really about a communication. So there's you know four thousand people that have contributed to the Mattermost platform. We're in over eighteen languages. There's hundred. There's thirty thousand contributions that people have made. There's twenty five thousand GitHub stars. And, you know, what that speaks to is a community of co-builders that are creating this platform with us, whether they do a source code contribution or they upvote, you know, feature requests. This really comes from the community. And the project management, you know, playbooks kind of came from uh, one of our um, – actually came from a bank. Um, and the bank actually shared with us, like, they had built all these customizations with Mattermost to really escalate things. You know, before they, on a security incident response, they're like, okay, I got to put an email together and have all this payload. It's got to send, send to this list and I always forget to add someone to the list. And they just kind of walked us through, you know, the, the journey. And then they walked us through what they did afterwards with Mattermost. And they took a 20-minute response down to two minutes because of their tooling and their automations. And, you know, there's, and, you know, we thought, and they thought everyone should have this. So, you know, those, it really comes from our user base and our customers, you know, playbooks, this is what they've built themselves bespoke. And as opposed to, you know, hundreds and hundreds of teams building that themselves, let's put it into the product. Similarly with Mattermost boards, it started with an open source project called Focal Board where, you know, this, hey, you know, let's try this. It came from one of our innovation teams and it said, hey, let's, um, Let's see what an open source Asana Trello notion might look like. We had a we had a hackathon, this was one of the projects. And similar to Mattermost, it just kept getting stars. 
right? People just kept kept doing kept downloading it and trying it out and running it. So Focal Board is is the open source project. You can go today into the uh, Mac App Store or the Windows App Store, search for Focal Board, and Focal Board will you, know, you can you can get the, the the home version. So just download it, open source, totally free. Um, and we just had so much interest in that, and I think it's passed you know four thousand stars just you know really really quickly. That it just sent a signal that hey, this really should be part of the platform. We had um, we had one person who works in the security space. This is just a, on a call that I was on, and uh, when they saw Focal Board, um, you know, in the open source, you know, we were talking about our newsletter in our open source communities. They saw it was going to be integrated with Mattermost. Um, they went home, and this is a you know. And they went home and they, they started organizing their uh, their home renovations using Focal Board. So every every room was a board and they had tickets and they started using it because they were so excited. They wanted to try it out because they really wanted to use it at work. And I think you know that's part of the magic of open source. You can you can use it in all these different environments and try it. And you know when we hear these stories and we hear these people saying, "Yeah, I'm so excited," you know, I don't have, I don't want to link to like 18 different project management pieces. I'd like to have everything integrated. Um, it's really it's about listening, and it's really about responding to that community, that end users. It's it's a hard job because you can't do everything, but when you pick you know the right conversations um, and the right sort of product priorities, what you get is is where we are today, which is a platform that is really being pulled by the community, by our end users into the platform that they need today. And that's just, um, that's one of the key things about having that open conversation and that community. Ian, can you talk a little bit about your your demographics? Who do you primarily cater towards or who is using Mattermost? Is it individuals? Is it organizations? Is it large companies? Is it uh, small teams? Obviously, it's probably a collection of all of those, but who is primarily the user of Mattermost? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, most often, uh, there's an evolution of users. So what happens is it always starts off, almost always starts off in, in technical teams with a developer that's using the open source version and wants to solve their own problem. They're at a workplace and you know the collaboration tools they have are really not built for developers, right? It's not the right place to have a conversation. The look and feel is different. And it's, you know, it's just, it's just not the right place. So they start themselves. They use the open source version of Mattermost. They get a dozen, maybe two dozen people on it. And they, 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 you know, they get things done. They work. They're more productive. One day that developer opens up the, the admin console and sees, holy cats, there's like 50 to 100 people on this Mattermost server. And they don't know who they are. There's like other teams that have kind of joined the instance. So uh, the developer goes to the IT admin and says, hey, um, this is like, I, I set this up for my team, but looks like it's a shared service right now. There's a lot of developers on there. I don't know who they are. Um, IT, can you please take this over because it's clearly you know a shared service, and you know, I need to go back to like you know my job as as a developer. And IT, uh, IT takes the instance, and you know they go to our our website, and they're like, okay, well. Oh, actually, if I'm going to host this as a shared service, there's actually the commercial version that they'd want to buy. So it's got the user management features. It's got all the IT, you know, IT pieces they want. So um, then they start with uh, the conversation with our with our commercial team. And once they have that conversation, with the commercial team and they, you know, they, they start working with our, our uh, professional version, um, that's that then that's where it really starts to grow. And what happens is... Um, People start, you know, people want to go where the developers are. So then people start joining the Amatist instance from from other departments, and they start collaborating and really starting to, you know, create this uh, 
area of, of where the digital operators um, really live and work. So you'll see a range of uh, folks in, in enterprises uh, at, the, at that larger, on those large deployments. You'll find us a lot in public sector organizations. A lot of public sector organizations um, really need that level of sovereignty and security. And when I talked about that mobile application and the ability to like, secure all of it, uh, and have it completely private, you'll see, you know, definitely public sector organizations wanting that functionality. You'll see us in, you know, small business as well. Um, I'm surprised how many, like, you know, movie studios and animation studios, uh, different, um, you know, retailers will, will have us out as well. I would say our core functionality is really digital operations teams. So it could be in small business, could be in medium, could be in large enterprises. And there's a subset as well that, you know, of that, that just really want our secure collaboration piece. So, you know, if, if we're drawing the Venn diagram, it, it kind of looks like that. So digital operations, small, medium, and large, and then uh, probably a material uh, segment that's also public sector that wants that complete control that's really about secure collaboration. What do we have to look forward to coming up next, Ian? What is Mattermost working on right now, and what can we get excited about? Yeah, so I mean, if you um, if you read our source code, you can find out. Um, you know, the marketing team does want us to to wait a little bit and, and make a full announcement. But I would say that the strategy that we're on is about you know really driving value for our our developers and our software teams. And you know, the more you know, what can we replace and integrate? In a way that you know gives uh, gives our software teams gives our users you know that environment they want. So open source Slack alternative. Right now we've got an open source Trello, Notion, Asana alternative, and we want to create sort of more of these alternatives as we kind of go forward. Um, so you know, watch in sort of like January, February for for more announcements. But the overall theme is, hey, this is a suite of products that are going to be really important to the work that you do. And we're here to make that more simple, more integrated, and bring you sort of the choice technologies, React, Golang, React Native, Kubernetes, um, and all those different pieces so that people can feel like they're excited and proud about the platform they use to communicate and, and work together every day. Ian Ten, he is the co-founder and CEO of Mattermost and a guest this hour on the Ask Noah show. You can learn more at Mattermost.com. Ian, thanks so much for taking the time to be here with us, for giving us the information. We'll get you back on the program real soon. Excellent. Thanks for having me. So, Steve, I uh, as we just kind of wind up the program a little bit, I want to talk a little bit about the Linus Tech Tips Linux Challenge. So the short version is Linus Tech Tips, a popular YouTube personality, has made the decision to try Linux for 30 days. Um, there is a punishment, you know, whoever gives up first, and he went with Pop! OS. It was an abysmal failure. He barely got past the install, and uh, from what it looked like, it was some something wrong with his graphics stack crashed, and... Uh, that was kind of the end of it. What were your thoughts when you saw that video, Steve? If uh, if I have Steve, maybe I have him muted or something, or maybe he... Uh... Yeah, oh, I had go. myself muted because, yes, reasons. Um, I thought it was really nice to see some popular personalities kind of taking a look at it, especially because they they obviously have people kind of influencing them, saying, hey, you should check this out. Um, it was really interesting. He did a wrap up um, and I think he added it into the end of the video saying the problem that that was, was he didn't read the output and it said that it was going to basically remove the desktop, which it did um, for whatever reason. 
and that he ran into that problem. And one of the things I thought when I was reflecting on this is he probably had someone saying that, you know, Linux is really easy and, you know, you should give it a try and all that sort of stuff. And one of the things that I like to talk about when we talk about easy is, yeah, I think it is easy, but there's a difference between easy and different from the thing you know. Mm. So I like to talk about in macOS, for example, you get to drag a package into a folder and it installs it for you. If you tried that on a Windows or a Linux machine and it doesn't do what you want, it doesn't make those operating systems harder. It just means that they're different. And if you tackle this from the mindset of this is just like X and you try and treat it like that and it doesn't behave that way, you walk away thinking, well, this is a terrible experience. And I, I think there's a little bit of that going on there. So there's two uh, there's two sides to this. So one thing is it does not serve our community well and it does not serve our users well when we bury our heads in the sand like an ostrich, right? And pretend that problems don't exist. The fact that when you go to install Steam, a gaming app, and somebody has not caught the massive bug that is it uninstalled his desktop, that's a problem. No matter how you slice it, that's a problem. And we should address that. Now, we can debate the merits and demerits about the correct way to go about that problem, why that problem exists. But there, I mean, I can understand the frustration of a user who goes to install his operating system and his desktop vanishes because he tried to install Steam. Again, from his perspective. The other side of that is exactly what you were saying. If I approach getting into Linux like I approach using macOS, if I approach getting into Linux like I approach Windows 10, that's not me really trying Linux. That's me trying to see if Linux is a substitute for macOS or Windows. And I, again, I don't think that's what Linux is designed to be. And I, and I don't think that's what serves Linux well. I think that uh, another, there's a couple other things that I wanted to quickly mention. As someone who works with clients every day, it is extremely hard to be accurate when you're on camera in any type. And I know that he does this kind of thing for a living, but uh, so do I. And I can tell you that there are times where you forego things that you might normally do if you're by yourself, such as uh, parsing the output or putting in a little extra research behind the scenes. And I, I wonder whether... If this was another type of project, say something that relied heavily on CUDA cores, is there a chance that we as users would have gone and said, okay, well, which build should I use? What drivers should I use? You know, because we realize this is a specialized application. And I wonder again, whether it's not someone in his ear telling him that it's easy, you know, just go ahead and do it kind of for, forewent any of that kind of cursory reading you might do. So Sleuth in the chat room says that the Pop... So he went with Pop OS, and Sleuth says, I was told that Pop OS was broken for a single day. It just happened to be the day that Linus tried to install it. Um, so, I mean, I mean, I guess take that for what it's worth, but it doesn't sound like it's it, it was it was a very long-standing bug, and had he tried it the next day, he may have had a, a, a different result. Let me, let me ask you this, Steve. Do you think there's any merit to the idea that when System76 develops Pop OS, yes, in... In some case, they are developing it for the larger community, but really their primary focus is on building an operating system to pair nicely with their desktops and their laptops. And so if you want the plain Jane, I'm going to just dig in and try something, why not go with a stock distribution like Fedora or Ubuntu proper or even Arch? 
Yeah, I think there's something to that. But again, I think um, now I'm reading into this because I don't know him. I've just been following him for years. I think that someone in the background was kind of um, telling him, hey, you know, Pop! OS is good for gaming and they've seen these reviews. And I am not at all discounting his experience, right? I have been there where I've tried to do a thing on Linux and walk away getting really frustrated, see all of my rants about Matrix. Uh, you know, you you have, as an end user, you look at this and you're like, I tried to do a thing and it didn't work. And I don't care that, you know, person X didn't create the drivers right or that someone made a typo. I care that I tried to do a thing and it failed and it shouldn't fail. So I completely empathize with what his experience was. So I want to be clear. I'm, I'm, I am not coming on here as defending Linux. I was just kind of reflecting on as I watched that video. Absolutely. No, that, that, that's great advice. So, uh, I invite you to check it out. Continue to follow that challenge. I know we certainly will hear. Hey, the music in our ears means we are out of time. As I said at the beginning of the show, we record every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central. So you can join. Holy cow, is the Jitsi room filled up? Uh, you can join us, uh, interactive in the Jitsi room, geeklab.ninja, or you can join us by giving us a call. We'd love to have your interaction any which way you choose to participate. The show is available. All the back catalog is available at podcast.asknowashow.com. There you'll find all of the shows, articles, and references that we use to make the show. We continue next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central, asknowashow.com. Have a good week. <laughs>